Hello, everyone. David Warren here. This is the Authentic Dad Podcast. Today, I speak to Errol Dobler, a Navy SEAL turned uh, executive management consultant, coach, guru, whatever you want to call him, wrote a book, really good one, about leadership. And a book that can be applied to both um, the boardroom, the business context, and also your life. I love his story. Really enjoyed talking to him. It's kind of a thrill to uh, meet a Navy SEAL and hear about his experiences. And reach out to me, further.coach, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach. I would love to hear your feedback. We can say, hey, if you want a free 30-minute discovery call, that would be cool. And I'm really trying to inspire and coach fathers on living a deeper, more authentic, present, connected existence. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right. I'm here with Errol Dobler. Did I pronounce your name right, by the way? Of course you did. Awesome. He's the creator of The Process, Art, and Science of Leadership, also the name of your book that just came out. And through Leader 193, his leadership consulting firm, he teaches his methodology to business leaders around the world. He developed this methodology through his experience as a United States Naval officer, where he served as a surface warfare officer and Navy SEAL and through his years of working with the FBI. And Errol is one of the few people in the world who has had the distinction of serving as a surface warfare officer, SEAL, and as an FBI special agent and FBI SWAT operator. So thanks so much. It's such a treat for us. Thanks, David. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to uh, can't wait to get started. Yeah, it's not every day I get to uh, meet a Navy SEAL. So I'm, I'm <laughs> really excited to talk to you. So so the first thing I always like to do is tell your story because yours is unlike anyone's I've ever heard. Um, well, it's there's there's a lot to it. So, you know, you know, my story is, you know, we can go a million different directions. But, you know, in short, I'm a, I'm a native of uh, Long Island, New York. I was born and raised there. I currently live in small town in South Jersey, Ocean City, New Jersey, with my mm-hmm. wife and three kids under eight years old mm-hmm. and three dogs. So we have a lot going on. Um, you know, I went to the, I spent eight years active duty in the military, the Navy, before I was medically discharged, getting injured on deployment as a Navy SEAL, spent some time in the private sector, mostly in sales and sales management. And then after 9-11, I got myself medically cleared, kind of found the the vigor to get back into the fight, so to speak. And I joined the FBI where I spent 13 years there doing primarily uh, counterterrorism work around the world. I was based out of New York City office. And then in 2016, after a little bit of frustration with the leadership in the FBI, I decided to put my money where my mouth is and started my own leadership consulting firm. And and we've been going strong ever since. I, I put together my own unique leadership process based on my experience and my experience alone, the mistakes and the successes. And uh, so it is a practical, not theoretical model where every aspect of it, I can go into a story and explain why I believe this is applicable for everybody. Yeah, I love how you said you put your money where your mouth was, because it sounds like a lot of what you do now, which we'll get into is born out of your experience and frustration. What you saw was just not great leadership. Yeah. So I'm glad you actually did. What does a Navy SEAL even do? Like what it's, I guess, assume it stands for Navy, what, sea, air, and land? Sea, air, and land soldier. Very good. So the Navy SEALs were formed, the original Navy SEALs were, um, were formed in World War II to um, essentially, you know, the most famous operation is, uh, and they were called the underwater demolition teams at that time. And they went in before that wave of boats and ships, thousands of boats and ships in Normandy and swam in with explosives and masks and fins under the nose of the Nazi army, literally waiting for that, you know, that invasion. And they put explosives on the steel barriers um, just off the beaches of Normandy to create alleyways for the landing. The, 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 the landing at Normandy was the war's worst kept secret. So the, the Nazi army was prepared and they put up all these metal and steel barriers laden with explosives. So they had to figure out a way to get this landing done. And, and they came up with the crazy idea and they sent these guys in and they were the underwater demolitions team at the time. 
1962, um, President Kennedy decided that we needed a force that was able to meet guerrilla warfare on their own terms, you know, for lack of a better word. And it was, it was based out of what was happening a lot in Vietnam, um, where, you know, the Vietnamese really fought, a, a, the Viet Cong fought a different war than anybody was used to. And so to prepare for those types of battles, um, the Navy SEALs were formed and then basically taken from the underwater demolitions team. So we specialize, we're a special operations force. We specialize in, um, we specialize in direct action and reconnaissance coming from the sea primarily. Uh, we are the best in the world at coming from the sea. And, and I will say that to any organization. Yeah. And they'll, they'll probably say, yeah, you, you guys are pretty good. Yeah. We uh, come from the air and we do it on the land as well. Lots of groups do it well on the land, uh, but we do it just as well as anybody else. So that's, that's kind of who we are and yeah. what we do in a nutshell. You know, we, you know, some of the prized operations, obviously the, the Osama bin Laden raid, the Navy SEALs yes. did, but you know, but anybody could have, not anybody, Green Berets could have done that raid. The Rangers could have done that raid. Um, Delta Group could have done that raid. But one raid that nobody else really could have done was uh, the Captain Phillips rescue. And that's yeah. based on the movie from, you know, with yes. Tom, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a straight Navy SEAL operation coming in from the air, jumping into the water with all your gear, setting up on a fantail, one moving platform to another, and then just making simultaneous uh, shots to save somebody. Uh, that's, there's only one group in the world that can do mm -hmm. that. So that's, that's a little bit about the Navy SEALs. Did, didn't see the movie, but very familiar with the story. And yeah. not to say that people didn't know about the SEALs bef before um, the Bin Laden raid, but that definitely would have put them on the map even more so for sure for sure um so i want to jump around a little bit because i you know the books about leadership i think a lot of it was inspired by your experiences before you decided to become a consultant um mm -hmm. and i was i was reading it and i love it by the way and just like a few things i really wanted you to touch on i think the one um one of them was this could you tell everybody about this parachute story Mm -hmm. um, I think it was, was it the first time you jumped out of a plane and what happened and what you learned from that? Cause that, that one really resonated with me. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. And that, the, the purpose of this story is to talk about unacknowledged emotions and, mm -hmm. and what they can do to you. And I use combat stories, A, because people like them, but yeah. um, B it's, it's, you know, combat is the ultimate expression of consequence. If you do things wrong in combat, one of three outcomes, mission failure, injury or death, all of which are unacceptable. But the concepts that we bring to that are that are applicable everywhere. So this, yeah. this notion of unacknowledged emotions, you know, we think that, well, if we have this emotion that maybe we're angry or we're afraid or we're frustrated and we bury it deep inside to be strong, we'll be okay. And the answer is no, you won't. Because if we don't acknowledge our emotions, they'll, they'll make sure they get acknowledged on their terms then. And that can be in a million different ways. Okay, now the story I tell is, I never particularly like jumping out of an airplane. So there's two ways to jump out of an airplane. One is called static line, where they literally hook a line up to you and it's connected to this wire in the plane. You jump out and that pulls the parachute out for you. I, I didn't love that, but I didn't really have a problem with it because um, there's not much to do. Right. Free fall is a different story, right? You jump out, and you're responsible for how you go through the air and all that stuff and pulling your own parachute and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, well, as I was going up, they, they teach you all sorts of things to do. They, they bring in these really cool wind tunnels and they teach you how to fly in the air properly and safely. And they go through all the protocols. None of it's overly complicated to learn, but obviously very important to learn. And as we were going for our first um, jump, I was, you know, kind of full of bravado and, you know, arrogance. And honestly. you had never jumped out of a plane prior we to We had this. not done, no, right. Everything was simulated at that mm. point. So this was going to be the first jump. And there was a series of protocols that you have to do when you jump out of the airplane. At some point, you look at your altimeter, right, to check to see if you're getting to the, uh, the height above, above ground that you're going to pull your parachute. You look right, you look left, you look up, you look down to make sure you have a clear airspace and you pull. Right. In, in, in short, that's it. You have an instructor jump with you just in case what happens to me happens to somebody else. 
And basically what happened is I went flying through all my protocols, didn't check my altimeter, didn't check my airspace, hit where I was supposed to pull my parachute, didn't pull my parachute. I kind of snapped out of my fog with the Mm -hmm. instructor reaching over to pull my parachute for me. I ended up pulling it and we got to the ground and in typical military fashion, he was nice and calm, but told it to me straight. He said, if you have one more jump like that, I'll make sure you never step on another airplane again. And that's, that's a tough proposition when SEAL stands for sea, air and land. (laughs) If I can't jump out of an airplane, I can't do my job. Well, and it sounds like you did pull it, but you pulled it probably a lot. Um, You should have pulled it earlier. Like you were in sort of a danger zone there. Well, that, that was the least of the problem. Mm -hmm. I could have gone, you know, much further down and still been safe, but that was where we decided we were going to pull it. But the most important thing was I didn't do anything to address the safety of those around me. Yeah. So that was a dangerous jump. If somebody was above me, okay, it's my responsibility to move out of their way, right? It's my responsibility to be clear. Um, and, and I didn't. So I just eschewed all safety protocols. Um, and that's really the big, the big point there. Now, so what did I have to do? I had 20 minutes till the next jump. I had to be honest with myself and I'd say, okay, look, you're afraid. <laughs> you're afraid yeah. of jumping out of an air, airplane, something that I didn't admit um, before. And the point is that your body, again, the emotions won't be ignored. Everything happens in our body for a reason. It's a closed system. And in this case, my reaction to my unacknowledged emotion, which I wasn't aware of, was inaction. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Not a great draw. Like a little bit of a freezing. Yeah. Not a great draw when you're jumping out of the airplane, right? So once I acknowledged that emotion of fear, it didn't mean that the fear went away. Yes. What it meant was that I took it from my unacknowledged emotions, my my unconscious mind to my conscious mind, where I could at least say now, okay, I'm afraid and what? Do I want to, do I not want to get back on the plane? Do I not know what to do? I get to have all these conversations with myself and then make a decision and say, no, I'm afraid, but I'll go anyway. And I will focus every bit of energy I have on my protocols and focusing. And that was it. That's all there is. So that's kind of the story I use behind the importance of acknowledging emotions, not judging emotions and not saying we're not allowed to have the emotions, but to acknowledge it and then make a decision on how we want to act on it. Hey, you took you took the words out of my mouth. The lesson here isn't not to have them right. or that we don't have them. It's just to notice that you have them because it sounded like on the surface, as you said, bravado and arrogance. Yeah. But what was really happening is you were really scared. And that acknowledgement that you were afraid changed everything. Yeah, it it, it allowed me to make decisions, and then ultimately do my job. The fear of jumping out of the airplane never left me. I went through those exact same protocols for every jump that I ever made. It was acknowledge the fear. Okay, what do I do as soon as I jump out? I focus on my body position. I focus on this. I focus on that. I was just locked in. And, you know, as you become more senior and do these things more and more, you don't see people doing that quite as much. And I would, I would take some ribbing in the, in the airplane because they're like, what is this, your first time jumping out of an airplane? And, you know, I would laugh along and I got it. Everybody was just being good natured and having some fun. But my point was, if I don't do this, I risk going back to the other behavior of not acknowledging the fear. And I know where that goes. I can't trust that instinct anymore. Right. And this it sounds like became sort of like the foundation of your of your leadership, um, of your book, of your style, of how you, how you consult people. Yeah, would, they, would that be like sort of the, the bedrock of it all? That is the bedrock, emotional awareness and recognition because emotions drive our actions. And if we don't have an awareness of those very things that drive our actions, then we are just typically acting randomly and we're leaving that and now we have random results. And that's yeah, from, not what leadership is. From the book, dry, uh, emotions drive our, our um, actions. And as you say, actions drive our results. That's it. Simple as that. It's not overly complicated, but it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. It's certainly difficult. How would you define, and I would say, define leadership? And how would you define it, let's say, or would you define it differently in a consulting setting versus being the father of three kids under eight? Or is it, or is it the same? Like, how do you define leadership 
the same. In those contexts, yeah. I define it the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how anybody else does it. I know everybody's got their own definition of leadership, but especially as we are going through this craziness with COVID and, and businesses shutting down, um, that came up a lot. Errol, what do I need to do differently? And my answer is nothing. You don't need mm-hmm. to do anything differently. You follow the process. Okay. The elements inside the process may need some adjustments. So in other words, emotional awareness and recognition, you've always had that good, but now it's more important. Now emotions will be heightened, right? Now emotions, now people will maybe be projecting new emotions and acting differently. So your awareness around it is even more important. Cultural awareness and recognition. What are people doing? They are now doing different things. Now you have to remind them again, go back. Here's what we do. The process is the same. So from my mind, the leadership principles that I apply in my process are the same everywhere. Think about yes. kids. Kids are home now, right? We, we disenrolled our kids from school just because, you know, we wanted to take control of their education. Um, we, did, we weren't totally comfortable with the models that were happening. Again, no slight on anything. Yeah. That was our decision. Lots of people have done that. Yeah. yeah, but things now change, right? Their emotions will be different based on the fact that they don't get to see their friends based on the fact that they don't get to go play as many sports. So the emotions change and how we're going to deal with them has to be adjusted, but we still have to be aware of those emotions. So from my mind, it's the same, it's the same everywhere. And, and the bedrock of any great leader is awareness, awareness on around how you and those around you feel and awareness around how you and those around you are acting And then from there, you can make good, targeted, specific, applicable leadership decisions and adjustments. Another thing that struck me was this idea of guidelines. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit, how you have guidelines in the consulting world. And I think super helpful, particularly now, how you set guidelines uh, for your kids and at home. I think there was a story when you were in the private sector and were you selling copy machines or something? Oh yeah. Copiers. And you, and you said, here are my guidelines. Yeah. And it created a little bit of a, a little bit of a upset amongst the, as you you were a manager, I think. That's right. And people were like, who is this guy? This isn't, this isn't the military. (laughs) That's right. A little bit. I thought that was an interesting story. Tell me about that one. So again, when I use the word process, I don't, I didn't just pull it out of the air, right? my leadership process is just that a process. If we go from emotions, that awareness to what we do, culture, that awareness. Now we understand very specifically and applicably what we need to make adjustments to based on what we've observed, right? And now the next part is what adjustments do you want to make? How do you want to behave? What have you seen? And now what are the behaviors you want to implement for yourself and or your team? They will be, this is kind of, they'll be different for everybody. That's the art. Once again, um, I may say, I personally need to um, exercise more patience. I personally need to stop procrastinating, whatever it might be. Uh, Those are my new guidelines for behavior. If I do those two things, will I get better at everything I do, right? My widget has nothing to do with it, right? That's not it. Um, and, but your guidelines for behavior may be different, right? Procrastination may not be your issue. Patience may not be your issue. So for me to consult with you and say, Hey, don't procrastinate and be patient. You'd be like, well, that's, I've just wasted my money because those aren't my problems. Mm -hmm. So the point is when I got to that sales team, I saw what the basic problems were. They were always late. Okay. They were less than honest about a lot of things, what they were doing that day, what their projections were, um, you know, for the quarter and things like that. There was lots of gossip and bad mouth, bad mouthing going on. And um, people just weren't working hard. They were spending their time in the office, BSing, multiple hour lunches, the whole thing. So I said to myself, that's fine. If we change those behaviors that I noticed, would we become better salespeople? Would we be a better sales team? If we were on time, would that make us better? And I, you know, the answer in my mind was yes, for lots of reasons. So I just listed four of them out. Okay. And I put some context behind them. And it was based on what I observed. I presented them to the team before they even met me. 
And my boss called me and said, you know, your, your folks have your, I called them rules set in stone. I would probably use yeah. some softer language now right, if I right, had to right. do it. I would probably use guidelines for behavior. <laughs> okay. But, you know, that didn't help my cause any. But, you know, he called me and said, you know, you've got a mutiny on your hand. And I, I said, what? That sounds a little strong. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, and I said, mm -hmm. I thought you liked these guidelines for behavior. He says, no, I love them. That's what they need. I'm just letting you know what you're walking into. And, and yeah, they, I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Errol. I'm your new manager. I understand there's some problems with the document I sent out. Please feel free. And they just ripped into me, you know, Hitler and, and oh my. You know, military and who are you? And we blah, 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 which, blah. Which is so interesting because I'm going to read them if you don't mind. Because yeah, they're, not, they're not very controversial, right? No, they're not. But people just don't like to hear them. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Yeah. Pay attention to what is being discussed, yep. sell to the best of your ability, and never lie or be deceitful. Not too hard. <laughs> not too hard unless you are not doing those right. things. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Because if you're not doing those very basic things and somebody tells you you're not doing them and explains why I want you to do them, people don't like to hear it, right? They just don't. And, and that's what it was. I let everybody get it out of their system. It was fine. I expected it. And once they did, as I write in the book, I said, look, okay, let's go through them. I'll, I'll explain them again. And if you can give me a reason why they're not important or if they're not going to make us better, we'll take it off the list. And, he, I, and I said, I said, you don't even have to give me a good reason. Just yeah. any reason that a reasonable person could understand. And of course they didn't. Of course they didn't have a reason. Once they realized where I was coming from, they were all, they were fine. And hmm. then once I, when we talk about accountability, right now I had something to hold them accountable to. Can't hold somebody accountable if they don't know what they're supposed to be accountable to. I made it very clear. These four things, you will hear them a lot. We'll read this piece of paper every time we have a meeting, which is once a week until these become part of who we are. And, and I did. And then we started to do those things. And there was a couple of people who couldn't get on board with it. Now, exercising consequence became easy because I, I made it clear. What don't you understand, David, about not inflating your quarterly projections? What don't you understand about not being honest about the status of a sale? Right? Well, blah, blah, blah. So if they kept doing it, but I kept asking the questions, holding them accountable, now you're not a cultural fit here's what we do. We don't, we don't lie about those things. So look, you got to move on. And they were usually good with it. They're like, yeah, good. I'm out of here. Okay, good. It's good for everybody. Um, now, but for how... those who stayed, which was most of them, once we did those simple things, those simple behaviors, we became a better sales team. Right. I like what you said. It's not the widget nope. that needs to change. It's it, you can be better by changing these things. But the real question is how do you set these guidelines with a dog no and three and three kids under eight like what what's and any tips for um this is the authentic dad podcast uh, yeah, lot, yeah. or you know who lots of people have children guidelines are important i call it setting context sometimes which is the same but a little different yep. where if i'm let's say busy at home doing work and kid wants to do this or that i'll say hey look i'm gonna do this for an hour and then we're gonna do this and I sort of set a structure, a context, which is sort of like its own little guideline that's been really powerful during the pandemic. Um, any tips to set guidelines for, for young children? Well, I think what you just said mm -hmm. hits the nail on the head because here's the thing with guidelines. You know, there's, there's this a lot, and I agree with it, but you know, find your why and all that mm -hmm. stuff, right? No, I, I, I'm with that, right? I, Simon Sinek wrote that book. I, I like it. Mm -hmm. I like his work and I like the premise. But here's, here's the challenge with that. Your why can change a lot, okay? Yes. It can change from a lifetime. It can change moment to moment. So in that example, you just gave your why was, I need to get work done, right? I just need to get some work done. Yeah. Okay, that's your why right now. And the idea that you said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to be held accountable to in the next hour, right? We are going to do, or next two hours, we are, you're going to let dad do his work. You're going to go downstairs and watch your show or go outside and play for one hour. Then we're going to come in, clean up, and then we're going to do this. 
Okay, that's it. You've just said it. This is what you will be held accountable to. And they come barging into your office after 15 minutes. You get to say very specifically, what didn't you understand or whatever language you use, whatever soft mm -hmm. skill you use, what didn't you understand about the first part of this? One hour, dad's doing work, you're, you're outside playing. Well, I did understand, okay? But okay, go back out and do it. Look, emergencies and things like that aside, right? Sure. Just general kid behavior. They come back in again, 15 minutes later. Now you've got some decisions to start making. Why did you come back in? You've just held them accountable by asking the question. That's accountability. Ask the question, okay? Have them account for their actions. There's no good reason. Now we have to start considering moving to consequence. Okay. okay, now don't go outside. Now go to your room, <laughs> right? Or yeah. now dad is not gonna work. And you know whatever it is, now there's some consequence. So what I, to answer your question is, especially with young kids, set those behavioral guidelines on an hourly basis, for goodness sake, or from, from task to task. This is how I expect you to behave. Make it clear to them. Ask them why, when they don't do it, hold them accountable. And then you've got to start moving to consequence, okay? And, and that's what we do. You know, we have some very general behaviors that we have. We are always kind to each other, which can be very challenging with a yes. seven-year-old and a six-year-old. But if we're kind to each other, will we be a better brother? Will we be a better sister? Will we be a better family member? Will we be a better citizen if that's what we're held to here? So the answer is yes. So we're, when there's bickering and whining and handsiness, I come down on that very, very hard. Right? What don't you understand about what I said? Up to your room, whatever it is, okay? Consequence. Those are some of the big ones, right? We, we always listen when somebody's talking at the table, right? You know, the kids, they're... They don't want somebody else to get the attention, okay? And mom and dad too, right? We've got to listen to each other, set the example. So we have some family guidelines that we put in place based around behaviors that will always be there, but then we put them in place from, from mission to mission. If we're going out to Target in the car, here's what we can expect from the behaviors, okay? And this mm -hmm. is it, making it clear. And that's, that's kind of so, how we do it. That's good. Know? So no, no drop and give me 20, anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. Because at this point, they're pretty good with that. We, we do family exercise together a lot. So they, they'd probably be okay. That, that wouldn't bother them quite as much as taking away the, the switch or the DS, those dreaded games that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us, us meeting parents are, dealing with the screen time problem and you know it is a problem but we are in a pandemic and i think it's uh it's not an easy um it's not an easy solution when, it's, it's when not but to, to our discussion you know this is what we did my my daughter my daughter is on the the game just because her brother's on it so mm -hmm. she likes to be like him i don't think she cares one way or the other he cares Right. He become a, he becomes obsessed with this, this switch with, you know, yeah, and, Nintendo and, switch. Yeah. The Nintendo switch and breath of the wild, the game and, and link and all the characters. And he can't stop talking about it. That's all he talks about. It's, so yeah, we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we, we can't let this happen. This, this can't be it. So what do we do? We set some behavioral guidelines Absolutely, and, and they were hard. And initially it was, you can get it for one hour a day or whatever, you know, whatever we said that didn't work because everything was then centered around. Is it my hour yet? Is it my hour yet? Yeah. Is it my hour yet? So we said, all right, now what do we do? And then we just, we just went hardcore and said, you can have it from Friday afternoon to Sunday afternoon right? Those, we call them slobby days, right? Mm -hmm. If during the week you don't ask for it once, okay, and you do all your schoolwork and chores and all the things you, we require you to do here, if you do that, come Friday afternoon, knock yourself out, kid. It's all yours. Huh. And what a surprise. He was doing his schoolwork better. His mood was better during the week, right? He was listening better because you know, and look, it, it was it was tough at first. Are you sure we can't make an exception today? Can I please have it today? You know, no, 
go to your room for asking. It sounds a little hard, but there had to be consequence, right? Um, yeah. And he and he got it. And now, every now and then, he you know. Yeah, we're, we're dealing with the same thing with Roblox. You know, Roblox, the game. <laughs> no, sort of man, I know. These yeah. games. <laughs> I know. And we're, we're trying to get my daughter to read a little bit more. And so whether, whether it's right or wrong, I've used bribery. <laughs> it's like this book, that's $20, uh, $20 worth of Robux if you read the whole thing. But they have, she has to write a report about it too. Yeah. She, can't, she can't just breeze through it. She has to understand it. And it actually works. Um. Until the number goes up to forty, <laughs> right? 40 Might be bucks. broke, but she's yeah. going to be. <laughs> That's she's gonna, right. She's going to be reading so look, a lot. And we have, you know, and again, I, you know, how we do things as, especially as parents and dads, we've got to learn. But, you know, our our process, we follow we follow the process I built at home here, mm-hmm. and you know, my wife is downstairs right now teaching, and it's we read for thirty minutes. That's it. That's what we're doing. Then she gives them the be, and I expect when we read, you will be engaged, blah, blah, blah. The schedule, the behavior associated with that schedule. It's hard to do, you know, cause it's um, the bribery is, I'm not saying we're immune to the bribery. We're not. <laughs> okay. But you know, that, that's kind of how we're doing. It, and that's how the, the process uh, and art and science of leadership, how we apply it with our, with our family. Another theme that I've noticed um, just by checking out your website, reading your book, talking to you that we have to talk about is, is the cold bath and the Winhoff method and so fascinating and this sort of um, goes in and out of your book. Let's tell me about this, how this came about, why it's so important, what leadership things and we can gain from it. Um, well, the, the Wim Hof, Wim Hof is, a, is, a, is a person. Uh, at Wim Hof, and he developed this method based on breathing, cold exposure, and mindset. Mm-hmm. And essentially, Wim Hof is, is, for lack of better terms, Dutch extreme athlete. And what he was screaming to the scientific community was, you have brainwashed us into believing that we no longer have control over our physiology, over disease, over curing our own diseases that we create in ourselves through stress, which causes inflammation, which is now linked to every major disease that we have, their lifestyle diseases. Um, among other things, what the Wim Hof method does, and, and, and Wim Hof climbed Mount Everest in a pair of shorts. He ran a marathon in the desert without drinking oh, any water. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, he ran a marathon above the polar circle barefoot. Um, he spent two hours in a, a bucket, full, a tub full of ice, wa- ice and water uh, without his core body temperature changing. He was showing the scientific community that I have the ability to control what's happening in my body, okay? And I have control over my immune system, my autonomic nervous system. And they, he did a, uh, he did a, a test, a experiment where they injected him with an endotoxin, uh, which is a, basically a disease that's, that's, that's dormant that's dead, but it, the body doesn't know the difference, right? It still sees it as a foreign invader and then would act appropriately and, or appropriately. You'd get those, you'd get sick, the fever, the chills and all that. And essentially he beat the endotoxin through his breathing technique that's shown and the cold exposure have shown to uh, allow people to strengthen their physiology, which, which strengthens their um, immune system so they can fight off diseases mm. appropriately without being quote unquote sick. So in other words, our immune systems are overactive. Like the number of people who die from a virus and the real cause of death is an overactive immune right. system is astronomical. So when you practice the Wim Hof method, and this is obviously uh, applicable today, when you practice the Wim Hof method, you start to gain control of that autonomic nervous system. You gain control of your immune system. It becomes stronger. And so when you get that virus, you don't get the ill effects of the inflammation, like the fever and the shivers, but your white blood cells are still firing on all cylinders, protecting you. You might feel n- not great, but you're not going to be laid down for a week. You're not going to have this, you know, the whole craziness that we get when we have, you know, uh, a virus in us. And that's the thing with COVID right now. You know, we don't have necessarily a COVID problem because uh, COVID is just a virus that's new. What we have is a health problem. And people have weak immune systems. So when a new virus enters our world, like COVID is, 
and our body and it, it enters our body it's not because it's so much as it's deadly it's that our body just can't adjust to it and 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 we know now that the people who are really dying from this with the with the small outliers which happens even with the flu yeah. are the people who have pre-existing conditions who have other lifestyle diseases type 2 diabetes um you know whatever it is you know when we're overweight and those things so anyway the wim hof method that's the one thing so that will make you physiologically stronger um, i use the wim hof method for that personally but i also use it as a leadership tool so how do i use it as a leadership tool? yes and, and by the way is this a daily practice or is this you know- it is it's a daily practice so the the breathing should be done every day mm-hmm. okay the effects of the cold can last up to five days, right? So mm-hmm. the physiological effects of the cold. So if I go into an ice bath today, my physiology is still benefiting from the cold, right? My, my, um, my cardiovascular system is still being strengthened uh, from that. Now, when we talk about how do you practice the elements of my process, and we've spent a lot of time talking about emotion. So how do you practice emotional awareness and recognition? Right? It's a good question because if you're just trying to remember it, how does that become a habit? You'll forget. Well, here's what I can promise you, David. If you look, if you are standing in front of an ice bath and you are preparing to get in, you will have an emotion. Okay. And if your intention going through to the ice bath is to recognize that emotion, well, now you're building a habit. You will have an emotion when you get in. Uh Okay. And if your intention in there is to understand those emotions you're having, now you're building a habit. Now it's something that you will go in your day-to-day practicing. Yeah, I love this part of the book. You're like, just this, even if it's a cold shower and you're not going in. Cold shower's good. This is really a mirror of your emotional life. Like, how much do I curse (laughs) when the water hits me? What do I feel like in anticipation during, after? Do I grab the towel right away or do I wait? Mm -hmm. And this, this was very interesting to me. Just observing how you react to this is, is gives you a lot of information about your emotional life. I, I really like that part of the book. Yeah, about yourself. It will be it will be in some way, shape, or form a mirror as to how you operate day to day under stress, and it's it's uncomfortable, right? Because a lot of times you don't do it, right? You yeah. the the amount you procrastinate, the amount you just sit there and stare at what you're looking to do, the, the number of times you make an excuse not to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you really take a hard look, what are you doing during your day when it's time to do those hard things, those, those mundane things that you don't want to do or whatever it is. No. And, and even sometimes like I've been doing, um, I told you, um, Qigong and I'm not, I'm doing like maybe 10 minutes and like, even sometimes some days it's like, it's hard for me to, it's like, oh man, it's only 10 minutes, <laughs> right? five minutes. You have 10 minutes. <laughs> you definitely have it. I saw Tony Robbins, I guess, do this once um, on the documentary on Netflix. I didn't know what the hell he was doing. He, he jumped into a cold bath yeah. and I just was like, I don't know what he's doing. And I didn't never thought about it, but I assume that's what it was. Um, how, how long are you? So you have a cold, like a, I think you said a meat freezer yep, or something. Yep. You fill it with ice, fill it with water. And how long do you stay in? So the, you don't have to stay in long. Studies are, studies are coming out saying, 15 to 30 seconds of cold shower at the end of your shower for 10 days will mm-hmm. begin the process of strengthening your immune system. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that should give you some idea now, but it's not just 10 days and now it's good forever. Right. That's when it starts to begin to get stronger. So to keep that, just like, it's just like a muscle, right? You want to build that big bicep. Well, you've got to, you've got to commit your lifetime to doing the bicep curls. Yeah. Um, now, so that's for people who are saying, I, I, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Anybody can do 15 seconds, 30 seconds at the end of their shower. Now for me, uh, I, you know, I, I stay in the ice bath a little longer. I usually try to stay in, not try to stay in. I usually stay in for about four minutes. Wow. Um, and the reason is not because four minutes is, it's not ego driven. And there's no, that I know of, additional benefits for staying in for that long. That's the amount of time that I felt I was comfortable where I really needed to get into that, um, into my subconscious mind to really need to focus and get super comfortable and then maintain my ability to stay comfortable 
four minutes is a nice number for me. Now, some days are better than others. Okay. Some days it's, it's a minute and a half because for, for one reason or the other, I'm just yeah. not having it today. And I get the vasoconstriction and my fingertips and toes are hurting. Well, guess what? As soon as I start to hurt and I feel pain, you know what I do, David? I get out, <laughs> I get out. <laughs> right? Cause it's not about ego, right? So, but so that's, that's for me personally. Um, I've got the meat freezer full of water. It's always ready to go, you know, regularly. You, it looks you, like you believe in this so much. I mean, you became an instructor, yeah. right? Yep, absolutely. You became certified, that's amazing. Certified instructor and they don't, they don't give the uh, certifications away, mm-hmm. which is good news. You've got to, it's a three-step process. It takes about a year. And then, you know, they, they test you regularly and things like that. So it's good. And, and you learned this, I think it was post FBI and military, right? Somebody, somebody kind of mentioned it. You didn't know what it was. And then that's right. That's right. So I was, yeah, I was just, I was doing a, setting up a, a leadership retreat for a client of mine, three day retreat. And they just asked me, could I include the Wim Hof method in it? And I was like, sure. What's the Wim Hof method. <laughs> so they gave me the name of the, the, the guy they'd heard it from. And I talked to him and it was, you know, he spent, I spent an hour on the phone with him talking about the Wim Hof method. As soon as we hung up, I started the process to become certified. I was, I was hooked immediately. And then I just, and then it wasn't until later that I realized, wow, I could really use this as a tool for my clients for these, these elements. So it's really, it's been great, but I started it for me personally, initially. And besides that, any other practices, you don't know, do you run daily? Do you lift weights? Do you, is there any meditation? What other practices do you think helps your, your leadership style, your family, your life? So, you know, meditation is big. So what I do is when I do the Wim Hof breathing, uh, which is, is 20 minutes, it takes 20 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I add on just a meditation. I go right in from, it's a very deep, aggressive breathing. And once I'm done with that, I just go into a meditation. Uh, so I try to do that regularly. I, I firmly believe in, you know, manifesting things that you want. Um, and there's science to back all that up. So I, I, I'm conscious of that. And, you know, I, I love exercise and I love fitness. So, you know, I'll try to do something every day, whether it's running or lifting weights or getting on the rower or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and we try to instill that in our kids as well. Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of what we do. It takes, it takes time. Um, what kind of diet does the former Navy SEAL FBI <laughs> agent, do you have anything specific or you just try to eat healthy? I just try to eat healthy. I, we stay with the basic premise of eat real food. Mm-hmm. Most of it be green and, yep. and don't eat too much. And I don't always do it. I have, I'm a little guy. I'm, I'm, I'm average, right? I'm don't look average, little to me. What, 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 I'm 5'10", 170 pounds. That is, I'm the average guy. I'm 5'4". Well, I, yeah, <laughs> I, but right when I said that, I remembered you had told me you're five, four. I'm like, he's going to tell me again. <laughs> I think but, our son though, or we have 11 year old, he's looking like he's probably going to be average, like five, nine, five, it's, it's a miracle. My dad's six, one well, makes no go. sense. You know. So you got the, you got the, yeah. you got the short end of that stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, so I just, my, my challenge is, is not, sweets or anything like that. My, my challenge is quantity. I, I have a massive appetite. I don't know where it came from. And I just have to be careful how much I eat, even if I'm eating the right things. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have a problem eating the right things. Um, it's really checking my quantity. But you know, look, I love chips and salsa. And I love a bowl of ice cream as much as anybody. My problem is if I get started, I have a hard time stopping. Yes. So I just say, all right, put all my energy towards not starting to eat ice cream and not, Oh, I'll stop because no, that I'm, doesn't I'm, always go. So I'm well. with you. Louis CK, love him or hate him has a joke about that where people say, Oh, just eat one. <laughs> yeah, just, right. You know, some people just eat one. I eat. He's like, yeah, just eat one. Someone like me, I think the joke is like, I just eat one. The next thing you know, they're like dead hookers in the trunk or something like, <laughs> like it just spirals <laughs> out of control. That's how I am. Yeah. Especially at, you know, especially at night, I have a very, I love good food with like kale salads, all these delicious things. But then at night, I'm like, hmm, I'm a little, I'm a little famished. Yeah. So just eat like random weird things that I can grab. And then, and it's usually the next not day, real I'm food, like, right? What the hell? Yeah. Why did I eat like a banana and Dorito sandwich? Because <laughs> it's so good. And I'm totally <laughs> sober, by the way. It's not <laughs> like it's not like I had the munchies. 
Well, and then, you know, look, I don't know if you drink, but if you do drink, it gets worse. Yeah. So, you know, you have a couple of cocktails and you'll say, oh, I'll just have, again, I'm a, I can eat two bags of chips and, and four jars of salsa at any sitting. And, you know, if I have a couple of glasses of wine, those jars you know, aren't very big, though. They're right? not. They're, they're so that's small. My point. They're so small. It's <laughs> tiny. Just make bigger jars. And they're getting smaller. Except oh. if you get the big jug okay. right, chichos yeah. or whatever. Maybe you're like a Costco guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, we probably don't have time, but there's also this. I, there's what I love about the book is that you have these leadership principles, then also a really cool story about when you were one thing we didn't talk about a lot when you're an FBI mm-hmm. you're doing counterterrorism in the gang unit and a really cool kind of insider's take on how to infiltrate uh, these gangs. And that story, obviously there's a leadership lesson in it. I won't give it away, but I just kind of want to tease people like this is not a boring sort of how to be a great leader kind of book. There's some really cool, if you like, uh, you know, gangs and FBI and Navy SEALs, some very cool stories from an insider. So Thanks for that. Loved it. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, that, that was the point. I, I initially I, I initially was just going to write the manual, just the process, art, mm-hmm. and science, just straight. You know, my wife was like, you have to put something in there. If yeah. for no other reason than to validate your points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and initially I was like, no, but I'm going to, there's going to be another book with cool stories. Mm-hmm. She's like, you've got so many stories, you can't even remember them all. Just, and and, and she was right. So, you know, on the one hand, I wanted the book to be very academic. I wanted it to be very practical. I wanted people to be able to look at, read it and go, that makes sense. I got it. But at the same time, there's a story for every, every part of it in there. So I appreciate you enjoying the story. I, I enjoyed it. And did you meet, I think you said, did you meet your wife in the FBI or no? Yes. That, yes. Okay. She was, we met in New York. She was an analyst and I was a special agent. So we worked together and, you know, fell in love and got married. And then uh, she left the FBI. I left in 2016. So I, she might've left a couple of years ago now. It's been at least certainly a year. Just, just thinking about your poor kids when they grow up, try lying to these people. <laughs> they, it. Well, they, no, they, yeah, they don't stand a chance there. So <laughs> that's why we're just telling Good luck, college, buddy. just, just be honest. It's because yeah. we're wasting everybody's time. Otherwise <laughs> stick them on the, uh, the lie detector, you know, like if you've seen meet, like uh, meet the parents, yeah. <laughs> come on exactly. down. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Forget it. You know, I do criminal defense and I tell my kids the same things like, yeah, I don't think that story is really working out there, fella. Yeah, there's, there's, a, lot of, there, there's a lot of holes there. I, I can't I can't accurately defend that one. <laughs> so. um, would you before b- before we end any like bu- other books other than yours or authors that really. So we have Winhof, um, yeah. you mentioned the um, your know your why and yep. anything else. I- yeah, one of the books that I really like a lot is by a guy named Stephen Pressfield, um, mm. the, the art, the War of the Art. The War of Art. I have it on my shelf. Love it. Yeah, and he he Classic. has a bunch of little books, like just yes. little nugget books. You know, I just I like those. You know, that's the last part of my book is called The Resistance. Mm-hmm. I just stole that from Stephen Pressfield. It's, yep. We we use it in different ways. My resistance means a little different, but when I read that book. I'm like, well, what else would I call it? This is what it is. There's a resistance to certain things. So I, I like I like him. It's an incredible book. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I like I like his stuff. And um, you know, that's off the top of my head, based on what we're talking about, just a quick fix. I think that's that's one I would recommend. Yeah, yeah that's a great recommendation. Yeah. So what else is that? I will, before we wrap up, anything that you want to say that we may have missed that's important? Or does that I mean we could talk. As I always say, for many, many hours, there's a lot of richness um, in your book, in your life, my gosh. Um, but well, no, we could, you know, look, I, I appreciate the time. You know, I would just, you know, cheap plugs, right? I appreciate Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, let's throw out your website where people can find the book, all that, please. Yeah. So we've got, you know, Leader 193, everything mm-hmm. Leader 193. That's my website, leader193.com. Instagram and Facebook are kind of my big social media platforms, Leader 193. And, you know, we are, I'm moving from doing leadership retreats for just my clients. Uh, I'm doing open retreats now. Uh, We call them the forum. Oh, cool. And the the first one, forum uh, 0121 will be in January of 2021, January 18th through 20th. So 
from if anybody is interested in a in a two uh, two or three day leadership retreat with other people, gonna, where's it going to be? It's going to be in Stone Harbor, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, got a beautiful hotel there, a nice venue, and it's uh, look. I love winter time at the beach. Um, not everybody does, but it's a small, quiet town. So we're going to have pretty much the place to ourselves, right? Beach towns don't, don't do much in the winter. So, um, so that's, will there be cold exposure there, happening? There, there will be cold exposure happening, but it will be optional. Okay. We are going to learn about it, right? right. We're going to understand it. Um, but you know, you can't, th that would probably move a lot of people. That's the away. safe thing to do. I think. <laughs> we're going to make it optional. But most people, I think, I, I would be surprised if everybody didn't at least give it a try. So, you know, that's one thing we're excited about that's new that we're doing, opening up our retreats that we've been doing for years yeah. uh, to the public. Um, and that's what we- well, that's, I that's appreciate your time and I appreciate the work that you're doing because um, we can learn a lot, my friend, from your family, your Navy SEAL background, your FBI back. I mean, thanks for sharing your gift with the world. In other words, I think we- us civilians um, don't get these leaders. You know, I'm sure they're Navy SEALs have written books, but it's not every day that I get to talk to a SEAL. And as I said, when we talk, thank you for your service. Well, I really appreciate, appreciate you serving our country. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. And I do appreciate you giving me the time to be on your, on your show. I hope, uh, I hope the audience enjoys it. So thank you. Uh, this is going to be one of the best ones. Thanks so much. <laughs> and right. I hope you have a wonderful day and we Likewise. will put all that in the show notes and you are the man. I'm going to go take a cold shower. <laughs> You'll get it. I'm really, I'm going to try it. <laughs> Good. Thanks again. All right. And there you one. have it. That was my conversation with Errol, Errol Dobler. Really fun. I will put all of his information, including the book in the notes. Check out him. Check out the Winhoff method. And I hope you all are safe and well and healthy. Please consider the five star review or um, a subscribe, a download. Really appreciate your support. Hope y'all are having a good Thanksgiving slash Christmas time situation, if that's where you're at when you're listening. And please be well and stay safe out there.